So, Father, now in this moment, we humble ourselves before you as the God who created this world. Everybody in this room has been made by you, God. We are accountable to you. You are our maker. And we confess we have done things our own way, Lord, and found ourselves in this crazy place of being feeling, experiencing the brokenness of our own sin, and yet you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to gather your people, those that would turn from their sin and trust you as Savior and give their lives to you as Lord. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are building your kingdom, and we give ourselves to you, God, now, and you've spoken, and you tell us to tremble at your word, and so, God, we come now to your word and ask you to speak to us, God, and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Risen Life. Good to see you. Thanks for making worship a priority here on Sunday morning. This is a beautiful city and lots to do here. Those mountains are beautiful driving in here this morning. I was telling Mary, like, who gets this kind of view driving to work? Not many. And uh, here we are. And we could be up there playing, but we're here worshiping. And uh, thanks for making it a priority. That's what God is calling us to do, to be gathered as his people. In fact, this is the book of Luke. We are studying Luke now um, this winter time up to Easter. And uh, Luke talks to us about Jesus coming and breaking in. The kingdom of God is breaking in and he's gathering his people. People who will say in my life, be glorified. And people that will follow him. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, Luke I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. He is gathering his followers, people that would recognize their need for a savior and follow him. I was at the uh, gymnastics meet here on uh, Friday night. Our Utes gymnastics team, they're fabulous, and they were facing off with LSU. And LSU has a gymnast who is a social media star. Her name's Livy, evidently, because everybody's upholding signs, Livy. Nine million followers I read in the, in the news and uh, largest following of NCAA, any NCAA athlete and uh, obviously had many fans at the, the meet. In fact, she needed a police escort to get to her bus after the meet to get out of the building. So, uh, but Luke says, don't follow Livy, <laughs> right? Follow Jesus, right? I mean, everybody wants followers today by the millions, but... Luke says, here's the guy you follow. It's Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one through whom the whole world was made. That's the guy to follow. That's the message of Luke. <clears throat> but let's, let's be true followers, right? Not just in name only, right? A lot of Americans call themselves Christian. And let's be people who... This will be what Luke's going to teach us here over the next several weeks. Is people who live it, right? Count the cost and pay the price and serve, lay down our lives, love our city and our neighbors, right? Uh, serve, right? So find your place this year. This is New Year. This is a chance for you to find your place to serve in the church. Find your place, whether you just greet people or whether you teach adults or children, whether you work security with Jason who just walked in here who protects us and his team every Sunday. We're thankful for him or the team back there. And these guys have a lot of fun back here in the sound and AV. They get to 
mess with all this stuff. Like some, they need some people there, right? We need people to scoop snow on the snowy days. Aren't you glad that when you came here the last couple weeks and it was snowy outside, the walks were clear, like, and there was salt. Like somebody did that, right? That, that wasn't Jesus, like, right? That was somebody amongst you that did this. We need some of you. Let us know. Our construction, the building now, we're about seven years past a rebuilding project, and we're building, starting to, like, our bodies do slowly kind of go downhill a little bit. We need photographers to take pictures of all that's happening. I was thankful to have people taking pictures of those being baptized. Just so much. Office help, right? Well, let's serve. And let's give. Maybe this is the year where for the first time you go, I'm going to obey God and I'm going to give that first 10% to him. Maybe this is your year to do that. Like, I'm going to obey him. This is what he asked me to do. He says, test me in this and see if I won't bless you more than you can possibly hold. Bring that first 10% into me. By the way, thank you for those that have been so faithful uh, this past year. Um, the giving was well over a million this year with our church family. 70 or 80,000 above budget, and, uh, and we had a lot of extra building expenses, so we're using that money, but thank you for your faithfulness in, in giving to the ministry. We've been training young people, you know, for ministry, too. Uh, uh, many of you know Coop Talbot. He served as an intern this year. Now he's been hired as a youth minister at Redemption Hill in one of our church plants, and he's down there serving today. We helped him. We encouraged him. We strengthened him. We gave him a shot. And now he's down there working. Isn't that great? We're sending him out. So what a good thing. And, and Aaron Jett now is a new intern starting today. It's his first Sunday. Aaron, where are you at? You around here somewhere? Where's Aaron? Stand up, Aaron. Stand up. Woohoo! There's Aaron. God's got great plans for him. He's working in children's ministry, and we're thankful for, for Aaron. But this is really what we've been saying, like, get off the cruise ship and get on the battleship, Right? The cruise ship's overrated. It's nice for a few days, right? It is. It costs a lot of money to get on one. But it, it's just, it's good for a few days. But after that, it gets boring and dull. And uh, some of us really need a little of that. But, but, but most of us need to get on the battleship. Like, let's get in the fight. Let's play this game that God is calling us to of expanding his kingdom and drawing people in. This is where the excitement is. It's where the reward is. It's where the blessing is. It's in serving and using your gifts and laying down your life for Jesus. That's where it's at, and that's what Luke's going to ask us to do. So we've been talking um, because of the season, the first couple of chapters of Luke and the Christmas story and Jesus coming to earth as a baby, and now we fast forward about 25, 30 years uh, into chapter 3 and 4, um, where Jesus now is about 30 years old, it says, <coughs> And John the Baptist, similarly, they were, both their mothers were pregnant at the same time, as we know the story. And we're going to look at three and four today, and we're going to see three highlights that are important. These are the foundational pieces, right? I mean, he's been born, now he's an adult. Now here's the foundational pieces of his ministry. And so we will look at Jesus' Messiahship, that Jesus is the Messiah, then Jesus' humanity, and then finally, Jesus' mission. So, if you want to grab your Bibles or your phones and look with me, or the U version, um, which has all the verses for today in it, uh, 
Obviously, I can't read every verse in chapters 3 and 4 or we'd be here for about a two-hour sermon this morning. But I will highlight many of the pieces that I think are important. And uh, we'll start with verses 4 to 6 where uh, Luke chooses to quote Isaiah. And speaking of John the Baptist, who uh, is coming now as a forerunner of Christ and announcing that the Messiah is coming. And it says in chapter 3, verse 4, it says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So into a world filled with sickness and addictions and conflict and hunger and poverty and racism and wars and slavery and hatred. Into that world, John says, here comes the Messiah who will rescue us from ourselves and from our sin. And he says that it shall be for all people. Salvation is available to everyone, all nations, all people, all status Whoever you are, if you will turn to Jesus, no one is too far gone. He will rescue you, and he will save you. And every obstacle is eliminated. That's what it means when the valley is filled, every mountain leveled, every crooked path made straight. The pathway is clear. Nothing stands in the way. There's no rituals, no political alliances, no special qualifications, only that you simply say, Jesus, you are Lord, and follow him with your life. And he says, you will be saved. That's it. There's the gospel. And Luke begins to unfold this gospel message uh, with the people around him in kind of some pretty strong language. Look at verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Well, that's a way to start a sermon with people. But he knew them, and he knew their hearts. Right? There's a time for this language. I wouldn't recommend it generally with your neighbors. But, but he knew them. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And we see this throughout the Gospels, that when the kingdom of God breaks in, what people are called to is repentance and faith. And there are really two sides of the exact same coin. When you believe Jesus is Lord, you turn from making yourself Lord to Him being Lord. They go together. And so John is calling people to repentance. And in these verses, he talks about being generous, about being honest, about being content with what you make. But also then in verse 18, to believe the good news. So that with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people, that there is a Savior coming, Jesus, who died for our sins and rose again, that when we believe in Him and give our lives to Him, we are saved. So it's always repentance and faith that Jesus, John, Bible writers call us to. In fact, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. Right? You hear that? Repentance. Jesus, you're my Lord. Faith. Believe that he's risen from the dead. And John, he doesn't miss words. He, he comes to us in verse 16 and 17. Because they were asking him, like, are you the Messiah? They're trying, there's a, there was a great anticipation that a Messiah was coming in the first century. God had prepared the hearts of people in the world. But there was a Messiah that was going to be coming. And they're wondering, is John, are you the Messiah? And in verse 16, John answered them and said, I will baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so we are told that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. That those who believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into them and begins to purify them like fire, right? The conviction of, of God purifying you. I was a metallurgist in my earlier days, you know, and, and heat purified the metal. That's what we're talking about here. The Holy Spirit comes in and purifies us and sanctifies us and seals us and holds us and makes us fruitful. For those who believe, the Holy Spirit is our friend. But for those who reject him, and this is what he is saying, the chaff, there is an unquenchable fire of judgment. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says, those who reject Christ will experience eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. And so, John is warning mercifully, right? Like, turn, repent, Trust in Jesus and find your place to, to safety. And he's reminding us that really at the end of the day, there's only two types of people. There are those that believe in Jesus and part of his kingdom. He is king of this new kingdom that's breaking in. And those who submit to him as Lord, they're part of his kingdom. And there are those who reject the king and they are not in the kingdom. Just those two. And we saw this play out in our culture this week. Um, when, uh, tragically, um, one of the Buffalo Bill players, DeMar Hamlin, fell unconscious on the field. And, and by the way, weren't we impressed with the medical team? And, I mean, just amazing, uh, the people, how quickly and well they responded. But, but equally, and maybe more impressed, with the chaplain of the Buffalo Bills who got down on the field and got his players kneeling and praying and asking God for grace and mercy for their teammate. Wasn't that beautiful? Brought tears to our eyes, I know. And, and to see people, even like ESPN analysts, Dan Orlovsky, praying on the air, like who does this? Like this, God is at work in these hard moments. But then of course, and this is how we feel, this tension, you know, this Twitter battle ensues. If you trace out some of the Twitter discussion, you know, you got people saying, why pray? I think prayer doesn't work. Jesus is not real. These are tweets that were coming down underneath some of these things that were going on. And I go, you know, Jesus was right. He came to divide. <laughs> you're either for him or you're against him. What team are you on? Right? Life and death issues rest with God. And wisely, those that were praying understood this. 
Like when we come to our end of ourselves, like where are we going to turn? Like where are you going to go? To yourself? Really? Maybe we can learn something from the biggest and strongest men on the planet <laughs> that they were kneeling and praying in that moment, right? <laughs> Maybe there is something to be learned there. To call out to God as the only one who really has final control of life and death. It rests in the hands of God. And so we, we all need a rescue, right? And Luke commends Jesus as the Messiah, the deliverer. Highlight number two. Jesus' humanity. Um, this is a beautiful set of verses now between uh, chapter 321 and 413 um, where we see Jesus in his humanity. And it says that he was actually, in verse 21 and 22 of chapter 3, that he was baptized. Isn't that interesting? You find that interesting? Jesus was baptized. Now, Jesus didn't need to repent, right? He was sinless. He was perfect. He was God in human flesh, but he is our example. Jesus comes and lives amongst us as a human and provides an example of how we are to live. And he's saying to us, right, be baptized. If you're a follower of me, declare it. Stand up here and say, or in front of wherever you're going to church, your church family, say, I am following Jesus. And I'm dying to myself, the picture of baptism, under the water, and back to new life in Christ. Furthermore, then it launches into this really long genealogy, verses 23 to 38 of chapter 3. And I want us to see here that Jesus is a real historical person. This is the point, I think, at least in part, that Jesus has a lineage, Luke wants us to see this, like Jesus lived. That person that tweeted Jesus is not real, hogwash. He had a mother, he had a father, right? He lived. His secular historians of the day even identified that he lived. He's real, that's the point here. He's human, he's with us, he's among us. And then in chapter 4 begins this very famous set of verses where he suffers temptation, real temptation, like us. It says, Jesus, verse 1, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. So he was hungry, he was fasting, and he was tempted. And Hebrews 4 tells us, verse 14, 15, that he was tempted in every way like us. And therefore, he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses when we are tempted. Right? I think this is one of the greatest sufferings of being human, and a Christian human, is trying to live a godly life. This is... A deep suffering if you're really trying to do it. And Jesus experienced this suffering. I mean, his family rejected him and didn't believe him and thought he was a crazy man. Like, he could have been bitter at his family. He had good reason to be. And he had no home, you know. People had a lot of fancy houses around the Palestinian countryside, and he was just a nomad. 
Think he might have wanted to have a nice bed he could go back to every evening. Jesus had people that adored him. And some of them were kind of of questionable sort, where a prostitute is crying at his feet and tears pouring out of her and she's wiping his feet with her hair. Do you think maybe he might have felt a little temptation there? We don't like to think about Jesus in some of these ways, but it says he was tempted in every way like us. He understands our temptations. And so we see him coming, and he's tempted in particular in three of these, and uh, we don't have time to give it a lot of attention to them, but they're they're interesting. It says, verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Do you think maybe that might have been a temptation, having not eaten for many days and hungry, that, you know, Jesus could surely pull that off, right? Turn the bread, turn the stone into bread. But he's teaching us something here, and that is not to submit ourselves to our appetites if they're opposed to what God wants for us. To not find our primary satisfaction in life, in our appetites, in the fulfillment of those. But in person of Jesus. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I don't live by bread alone, but I live by obeying God and walking in his ways. We're to submit our appetites to God. What do you do with your appetites for food and for sex and for money and pleasure and entertainment? Do you obey God in them or do you give yourself to whatever your pleasures are? And this world teaches us to do the latter. I I loved the testimonies of of many who were baptized here a few weeks ago. Weren't they just precious and encouraging? And and, and Several of them were saying, you know, I, I tried the things of the world. This is true of all of us. And they were like lame, like it didn't satisfy. But Jesus does, right? Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will not hunger or thirst. I am the one who will satisfy you. And maybe, right, if you're struggling with your appetites, get in control of you, like either you control your appetites or your appetites control you. Maybe this is a year where you want to practice a little fasting. We'll actually talk about that next week. It's in the, in the text next week. But this next temptation where, um, and I'll just briefly touch on it, where Satan offers to Jesus the world if he will bow down and worship Satan. Like, by the way, what a joke. Like, right? Who owns the world? Right? That's a joke. Satan is a freaking, sorry, liar. (laughs) A liar. (laughs) Don't listen to him. You listen to him and do it his way, you're just going to get pain and regret. And Jesus knew better, right? He said, no, that's wrong. I'm Lord. But then Satan tests tests him uh, kind of with the spectacular. He says, if you'll jump off this cliff, like, the angels will rescue you. Right? They're not going to let you crash at the bottom. And, and there is, I think, there's so much that could be said about all these. This could be a whole sermon. I mean, lots here. 
But, but, but we, I think, as humans, long for the spectacular, like to see this overpowering and dramatic movement of God, especially when it benefits us. And by the way, God does that, right? He's done it in my life. I'm thankful for those moments. He does it in your life from time to time. But this is not his usual pattern, right? I mean, I pray that this whole city would repent. Maybe someday, right? Like Nineveh, right? Who knows? But not usually, right? I mean, I, have you ever thought this way? Maybe I'd just buy one lottery ticket, just one. And God, because he wants to bless his people, like, right? He'll just take care of me for the rest of my life and, and all the bills of the church in one little, like, God could do this. But he doesn't. We know this. Like, he doesn't work primarily this way. In fact, the Pharisees, who were opponents of Jesus, said, show us a sign, right? A miracle that we might believe. If you'll do something great, we'll follow you. <laughs> and Jesus said, yeah, evil people ask for a sign. You just need to trust me, right? But here's a sign I will give you. I'll be like Jonah, right? I'll go into the belly of the fish, the belly of the earth, for three days, and then I'll rise again. There's your sign. That's the miracle I'm giving you. And if that's not enough... It won't be enough. See, I want us to understand this. This is important because I think we get led astray here some. That most of the Christian life is ordinary. Simple faithfulness. Quiet, steady faithfulness to God and his word. And enjoying the intimacy of walking with him. And that's the miracle. That we get to walk as people with God through his spirit and walk with him in intimacy day by day. And that's what the Christian life is made of. And sometimes God breaks in and does the crazy, crazy big stuff. And I love those days. But that's not what is the usual. Now I want us to see one more thing here before I move on to my last point. <clears throat> and that is that Jesus didn't dip into his deity to live out his humanity. In fact, how did Jesus faithfully follow the Father and what the Father's will was for him? In, in these temptations, we see some things. First of all, he always used Scripture. When, when Satan tempted him, he quoted Scripture back. Okay, we, these are not like... Jesus could have pulled out any number of things and just wiped out the devil, you know, that kind of stuff. But he just quoted scripture. He living out his humanity. Furthermore, it says in verse 1 that Jesus was full of the Spirit. He walked filled with the Spirit of God and was guided by the Spirit throughout the day and called out to God for help and for wisdom. And then, look at verse 42 of this chapter. It says, and when it was day, he departed and he went into a desolate place by himself. We see this pattern in the Gospels over and over where Jesus gets alone all by himself just to be in communion with the Father. And, and so Jesus used all the things that are available to us to stay true to what God wanted him to do. Scripture, Spirit, time alone with God. All things we can do and should do. And by the way, if, if Jesus needed to get along with the Father to be faithful to him, right, from time to time, maybe you and I do too. 
right? Sense that? Maybe this is your year to spend time regularly with God in His Word and in prayer and communion with Him. I, yeah, back in the, in the 80s, in my corporate days, my traveling days, um, <clears throat> it was a time of great formation in my life and God was preparing me for ministry. And, um, and in the corporate world in the 80s, it was a lot different than it is today. Very, very masculine environment and not in good ways. <clears throat> and business trips were often involved drinking and strip bars and indulging every appetite imaginable. And yet I was sensing that God was calling me to ministry. And how was I going to face this? And I knew that if I gave myself to what was going on with my peers, <clears throat> I would be disqualified. And here's what I found was the key. That those moments alone in the hotel room became my place of worship. Where I would spend time in his word and prayer and hours just communing with, the God and I, with God. And I'm just saying those have been the, some of the sweetest days of my life. And those moments with him as he was setting me apart to use me as a pastor. But I, I wouldn't have made it if I didn't have God to turn to and just commune with. And to know and feel and experience his love and his grace. And this is Jesus. He's teaching us here, right? Communion with the Father. Jesus was human like us, and he leaned into God and used Scripture and walked in the power of the Spirit. Well, finally, let's look at this last highlight, and that is uh, Jesus' mission and, and purpose. And we see this in chapter 4, verse 16 to 30. Jesus came with a mission, um, and he came with a purpose, and Luke is real clear about it. And we see it in verse 43 of chapter 4 here today, and that is that he came to preach the good news, to gather a people that would be part of his kingdom, which he was king, and to seek and save, it says in Luke 19.10, I think this might be the central verse of all Luke, seek and to save those who are lost to call people to repentance and faith in him, that he would come and lay down his life for his people. And so Jesus, he picks up the scroll in chapter 4, verse 18, and he's in the synagogue, and he begins to read this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, and he sets it down, and he says, today this is fulfilled in your midst. <laughs> I am that guy. I am the Messiah. Whoa. Right? And some believed, right? And some doubted. And some said, we want to throw you off a cliff and kill you. And those are kind of the responses, <laughs> right? That's the responses. And it's the challenge to us this morning, like as you listen to this story, right? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? God in human flesh, the one who came to save us from our sins. It says he came to proclaim good news to the poor. 
and living in the wealthiest country that has ever existed on the face of the earth, we may not feel the physical impoverished state, but the Bible tells us, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, right? who recognize their need for God and realize that there is something missing in their heart and in their life, that we are all poor without God. We hunger, we know this, we feel this hunger in our hearts for something more. What will satisfy this screaming inside? And the answer is Jesus. We're going to take communion here in a moment. The bread. I am the bread of life. I'm the answer to your impoverished spirit. And it says you'll bring freedom to the captives. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free. And we are free in at least two really clear ways in the Scripture. We're free from all the guilt and the shame of sin. I was telling Jared this week, I'm just embarrassed sometimes by my sin, by the things I do. I'm Pastor Kevin. I should be smarter than this. Just embarrassing to me sometimes the things I do and say. Jesus, wipe that clean. Shame and guilt taken on the cross for us. But also free in this sense from the bondage and the addictions and the obsessions and the prisons of our sin that hold us. Have you, I mean, have you ever just set out someday to be really good? How'd you do? <laughs> right? I mean, come on. We can't do it. And Jesus says with me, you can. I've come to set you free. I'll give you the power. Through my new life inside of you, you don't have to give into it anymore. We have a choice now. He says that now we are met, met with favor, verse 19, undeserved blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace, it says in John 1.16, that there is enough grace for every failing and weakness and sickness and anxious thought and depression and fear and doubt. There is grace for every one of those things that we feel. I remember as a young pastor and had very patient elder pastors around me, and uh, one day our, our lead pastor confessed a sin. I thought it was pretty, I mean, it wasn't like horrible, but it was like, that's pretty significant. It's like, what are you going to do with that? And I kind of thought, well, you ought to not preach Sunday, right? This is a smart aleck young kid, right? And I told him, I think, well, well maybe you shouldn't preach. <laughs> Forgive me, God. <laughs> And he said, I'm going to show you what it means to walk in grace. And someday you're going to do worse things than this as a pastor. And you're going to need the same grace. And he's right. There's grace for everyone in every place, no matter what we have done. And available power to overcome whatever trouble or difficulty we have. We don't have much time left here this morning, but... <clears throat> in fact, man, you can come on up, but... Um, we see the story of Jesus dealing with the demons, right? And he casts them out with ease. Now, now, who knows what these people have done or what has been done to them that put them in a place where Satan had a place in their life? We don't know. But I think we've all at times felt this oppression in our lives. If you're a Christian, especially it feels like in this valley, tortured thoughts and past memories and oppressions that come up in our life that plague us from time to time. 
Here's the message. Jesus can set you free from that. He is over that kingdom. Satan is defeated in Jesus, and you can be free, and you don't have to listen to that. You can send him packing. But it's not always demons. We know this. I mean, sometimes it's just human weakness, and this is the beauty of the Bible and the text, because the next section is just somebody who's sick. Happens to be Peter's mother-in-law. She's just sick. Common maladies of the world. We all feel this. This broken place that we're in, it just wears us down sometimes. And, um, and it made me recall in John 9, 2, where uh, Jesus was, was talking to a person who had been uh, born blind. And they asked him, well, who sinned here? Like, was it his parents or was it this guy that's blind? Who sinned in this case that he would end up with this problem? And Jesus said, no one. Nobody. It's the fallen, broken world we're in. But he has this problem so that people might see God at work and might see my glory. See, Jesus is drawn to our, our weakness and our struggles and our brokenness so that we would seek him and turn to him and look to him for help and restoration and redemption and find healing. Look at brothers and sisters, he can handle anything you are going through with ease if you'll turn to him. No matter what you're facing today, he is able. He is able. He is. He is God. He can heal, he can deliver. He can bring comfort and peace. He's just saying, will you turn to me? Right? Will you turn to me? And all of this, all of this was bought at the cross. That beloved cross, that torturous cross, where Jesus hung for us, was killed brutalized, buried, and then he rose again to defeat sin and death and sin and its consequences for us. And so all of us in and through the cross can be made well. And the only question that we really face is, will we turn to Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and give our life to him? So as we come to communion this morning, we're going to celebrate these truths, and I'm going to have the deacons come on up and take a seat here and prepare for communion. But, but this, is what, this is what we celebrate, that all these things are true because Jesus shed his blood for us, and in the power of the cross, we can be new and be different. Everything we need for healing, for help, for strength, for redemption, and restoration is in and through the cross. And what communion asks of us is, is this question. Are you following Jesus? Right? This is a public way. When we take the bread and the cup this morning, we are just saying, Jesus, I am yours. I am trusting in what you did for me. I am your child. I'm giving myself to you. And we're publicly proclaiming that as we take this together. This is a family event. It's, and it's open communion. Like, you don't have to be a part of this church. But if you follow Jesus, you are invited 
to take the bread and the juice this morning with us. And Jesus always asks us to take a moment just to prepare ourselves, and so that's what we're going to do, and then we're going to take it together.